Hello everyone, this is me, Sarah Sloan. This is a Sarah Sloan show, where we put the R in refrigerator. And the auto in bottle. Hope you guys are doing well. We got a lot to cover, so let's hit it. Boom. Alright, so first thing, I'm here with my father by the way. Um, the first thing is, Pete Buttigieg. You know him, Dad. Yeah. 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 Department know. of Transportation, mm, Secretary. Mm. He ran for president. He's very young. Um, yeah. Indiana. Indiana governor, South Bend, oh, I that's think. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And he knows like seven languages. He's an interesting guy, I guess. And he's very well-spoken. Um, so he basically... There's going to be a, an infrastructure package that Biden wants to put in place, and it's going to cost an estimated amount of $4 trillion. So basically, I'm going to play a clip in a second. The question is, how are we going to pay for this thing? Because that's, that's a lot. So The same way that we can't pay for the rest of it. That's a correct answer. I want to start to uh, talk about expectations for this infrastructure package. President Biden will be laying out the what of the package next week, but how many jobs will it create and at what net cost to the American people? Well, I, I think there's certainly a, no net cost. There will be a net gain. When you think about infrastructure, it's a classic example of the kind of investment that has a return on that investment. That's one of many reasons why we think this is so important. This is a jobs vision as much as it is an infrastructure vision, a climate vision, and more. Obviously, the numbers are still being reviewed. The president's deciding what will go into uh, what's going to be rolled out next week. But what I'll say is that expectations have been high. They've been high before. We're probably the third administration in a row uh, to arrive with the American people expecting big things on infrastructure, I think this time we can actually get it done. So you said yesterday it will be at least partially paid for. Senate Democrats are expecting around three and a half trillion dollars. What part of that will be paid for? Well, that's obviously part of what we need to work with Congress to establish. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of appetite to make sure that there are sustainable funding streams. And again, at the same time, we know there's a great return on investment on infrastructure, so some level of deficit financing could make sense. We got to make sure that what we come up with is responsible, that it is reliable, and that it's going to work for America, not just for this moment, but for a generation. We are expecting business taxes and high-income individual taxes to go up. New raisers under discussion that are squarely in your wheelhouse. And I want to go sort of rapid fire through them because you've commented on some of them before. First, a gas... So listen close to this because this is whenever she's going to start explaining or asking about certain types of taxes and he's going to give answers. Mm. And of course, he's going to, you know, try to say, oh, well, these are all maybes. These are, we're not sure, but he gives his honest opinion on each and every one of them. So just get ready. Tax. You've called it old fashioned to raise the gas tax. Do you still believe that? Could that go up? Well, the gas tax has traditionally been part of how we fund the highway trust fund, but we know that it can't be the answer forever because we're going to be using less and less gas. We're trying to electrify the vehicle fleet. Uh, so if there's a way to do it that doesn't increase the burden on uh, the middle class, we can look at it. But if we do, we got to recognize that's still not going to be the long-term answer. What about a mileage-based tax? So I think that shows a lot of promise. If, if we believe in that so-called user pays principle, the idea that part of how we pay for roads is you pay based on how much you drive, uh, the gas tax used to be the obvious way to do it. It's not anymore. So a so-called vehicle miles traveled tax or mileage tax, whatever you want to call it, could be a way to do it. 
Build America bonds? Definitely a lot of promise in terms of the, the way that we leverage that kind of financing. Uh, and, you know, there have been ideas around things like a national infrastructure bank, too. Uh, I don't mean to, to uh, uh, try to disrupt the spirit of the rapid fire, but you're hearing a lot of maybe here because all of these things need to be balanced and could be part of the mix. And then a tax on carbon emissions. The Tax Foundation has suggested that at the rate that the Biden administration has set for the per ton cost of carbon, uh, that it could raise about $2 trillion. Will you move in that direction? So carbon pricing is one of the ways that a lot of economists and the business community believe we can have a market-driven approach that also deals with greenhouse gases. But it's too soon to assign a, a use for those dollars, even if it does happen, because you could do it in many different ways. There's even a version of it that would be revenue neutral. The point of carbon pricing is that there's less carbon. Uh, I wouldn't think of it just as a revenue mechanism. Would you see that happening in the next year? Uh, again, that requires Congress, that requires the, uh, the president and, and Congress to be in alignment. And these are exactly the conversations we're having right now with Democrats and Republicans on the Hill and within the administration. You've said that you talk to Republicans almost every day. Yeah. Uh, just this week, they've called this package a boondoggle and a ploy the way that it's been reported the administration is structuring it. Meanwhile, progressives have suggested it's not big enough. It needs to be $10 trillion. So how do you thread that needle? Well, given that the package hasn't even been rolled out yet, it, it feels a bit like politics. At the end of the day, uh, there's going to have to be a, a, a single answer that everybody will want to tug in one direction or another. But what we know is we've got to think big. We've got to have uh, an investment that's going to support the next generation. It's got to be transformative. And I think that Republicans and Democrats alike see the need for that. Pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> transformative means bankruptcy. <laughs> You know, it's got to be 10 trillion. Uh, sometimes I honestly think that these Democrats say these things because they want us to somehow be grateful for Biden. Mm. Because then they're saying they're they're 10 trillion and we're like, oh, thank God that Biden's only saying 4 trillion. Right. Oh, imagine. That's true. It's sort of like a bargaining tool. Yeah, I think so. I, mm. It just, it doesn't make sense otherwise why they would mm. actually think that. You know, uh they're so funny whenever they talk about things paying for themselves or partially paying for themselves, <clears throat> they never do. And whatever <laughs> they, their expectations are, they're almost never met. You know, you, you see these uh, public transportation systems, subways or, you know, trails, trains of some kind, and uh, they always end up costing way beyond, and, and then they don't generate much. You know, they're not used as much as they thought they would be used. So all their prior calculations that they used to sell it to the people come out wrong. And that's, that's just a pattern of the Democrats and government in general. Yeah, they've been wanting to put Amtrak's in Texas for mm -hmm. years and years and years. And I think there is a little something in Dallas, but mm. it's like, barely utilized yeah uh obviously we've seen how well new york uh subways have gone they're a disaster <laughs> is it they all end up being black holes mm -hmm. yeah you know with public funds and of course democrats always view um public funds as endless you know that there's no limit to them they don't have to deal with any limits and especially at the federal level it's it's interesting because at state levels they actually do have some limits at local levels as well. <clears throat> but uh, although some places act like they don't, <clears throat> but the federal government, you know, is notorious for there is no limit. You just keep adding on to the deficit and printing money. 
Exactly so. And yeah, according to the Epic Times, uh, he later clarified Pete Buttigieg did the details. And he said that the mileage tax will not be included because that was a big one. You know, imagine you drive and every mile has a certain amount that they tax because you want that, that amount of miles. But it, it's a absolutely ridiculous way to go about it because, um, okay, we're moving towards electric. Well, guess who's getting the electric cars? The upper class. Mm-hmm. Guess who has to stick with gas cars because they can't afford electric? The lower class. So supposedly you want to help. Um, you want to help the upper class. Uh, and that's why he was saying that the gas tax was irrelevant. But yet with this mileage, it, it's completely r- ridiculous because uh, truck drivers that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to end up losing the amount of money that they get. Mm. Everything mm-hmm. is going to cost more because everything's transported. Walmart, Amazon, they transport items and we're going to see those costs go up. It's going to hurt everybody, mm. not just the driver. It, it would raise the cost of everything. You know, and I understand the principle. The principle is whether you're driving an electric car, a gas car, or uh, 18-wheeler, uh, maybe in different degrees, you're wearing the road out. And that's the infrastructure. So, therefore, you have to pay for the wear that you put on it. <clears throat> but um, people have gotten used to not having to do that. Obviously, there's toll roads, but uh, everything would be, in effect, toll. Yeah. So. Yeah, and... I. Yeah, to be honest, I like the idea of a consumption tax. I think it's a it's a bit more fair than a lot of the other taxes, but they're not going to remove the other taxes. Mm-hmm. If they if they did, if it was a trade-off, then yeah, I'd be fine with that. Like sales tax, I understand it's a consumption tax. So the more you spend, the more you're taxed. But you know, taxes there have to, there has to be some form of a tax. Mm-hmm. Income tax, it's literally, well, it's fine if you tax some of your income, but it's literally the fact that it's a progressive tax. And so the more you make, the more your uh, the more money is taken away from you. So it's literally the government saying, we are punishing you and taking more of your money away mm-hmm. because you are successful. So therefore, uh, don't be successful. That's right. A higher percentage as your income goes up. Yeah. So it's just all silly. Um, so if it was, if it really was the case that, you know, we weren't going to have an income tax and we were going to have a mileage and a sales and just different forms of consumption taxes. Mm-hmm. I would be fine with that. But I know they're just adding taxes and adding mm-hmm. them and rationalizing them. And he's saying that it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, so he's saying that it wasn't part of the conversation about the infrastructure bill. He wants to make that really clear. There's a lot more details in the coming days about how we envision being able to fund this. Um, and yeah, he's barely elaborating. And all he cares about is he just doesn't want to put a burden on the middle class. You know, he the, the danger for him is that everybody's going to organize and mount up against this. <clears throat> so that's why everything is uncertain. And, you know, we'll see because uh, he wants everybody to have their guard down. And, and that's been the approach so far <clears throat> in Congress. They just slam it through the House and then try to slam it through the Senate. And... You know, so what he's doing is, you know, he doesn't want any of these red flags to go up and have everybody calling their congressmen and everybody up in arms over possible taxes. You know, if, if I had to guess, like he is young, but if if he keeps on this route, he's not going to have much more of a political career. He's not. 
he's not impressive in any way whatsoever. He's eloquent. He's a pretty boy. Mm. Who cares? You know, and doesn't seem like even the Democrats really care about that. You know, he's he's a smooth talker, so he he can try to make something that's inherently bad sound okay. Um, I don't know. To me, that's just disingenuous and slick. It, it doesn't impress me whatsoever. But maybe there's some that you know he uses a few big words and that impresses them. I, you know, I'm trying to look at the substance of it and what would it do. And you know, he's acting like. You know, without this, the next generation is just not going to be able to exist. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, paying for this is something that the next generation may not be able to do, or I can't figure out how they could. You, you show me a way that they could possibly pay off these types of deficits. Oh, yeah. It, I don't think so. You know, what would you... You'd have to have a libertarian government where you just start cutting departments. And, you know, really, the, a small government is such a beautiful concept when we recognize that there's so many things we just don't need the government to do. And, you know, we have to weigh everything out. You know, everybody likes the benefits that the government can do. You know, but first we realize that they're the worst ones at doing anything, the most inefficient and everything that they do costs way more than it should. So, um, you know, every government employee is paid double or triple, you know, what the private sector pays. And, you know, with all the benefits and the unionization, and there, there's no bargaining whatsoever. And, you know, it's just kind of crazy. Why do you need a union when there's no, there's no big business? There's no corporation. There's <laughs> no, you know, who, who are you fighting against? You know, they're going to abuse you. The government's going to abuse you. It doesn't happen with their employees. That's why we call it, it's it's easy enough, you know, that it's government work, you know, because everybody considers that the lowest level of work ethic. Yeah, it, it's a simple factor of um, you have $200,000 to spend on a new home and you you're going to build it yourself. Well, you're going to put a lot of care and dedication into that project. Mm -hmm. You give that $200,000 to someone else and they're going to build it on your behalf. They're going to build the house for you. They're not going to do as well of a job. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's your mm -hmm. friend, they might still give it a good try and, and make it as nice as they know how, but it's never going to be exactly what you wanted. Mm -hmm. And then you give that, that money to the government so that they can build you the house. And it would be the worst house. It would be the ugliest house. Mm -hmm. And that's how it works. Mm -hmm. It's it's third party spending. Mm -hmm. You're giving them your money, and they spend it terribly. They pay idiots like um, Fauci, you know, mm -hmm. to get COVID wrong. Mm -hmm. the amount of terrible government spending. Honestly, I want I, I pretty much am to the point. I want Rand Paul for president, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not a libertarian, mm -hmm. but just something to help this. Yeah, it's hard to imagine, and the difficulty is that the electorate does not punish waste. They do not punish poor spending, and nobody, you know, you listen to all the debates, no talk of the deficit. So that's not even an issue in people's minds. For them, it's somehow not real. 
until the day when it becomes very real and then it will be too late and it's easy to argue that it's already too late i i hope not that's why you gotta vote for me for president um so that i can fix this i'll vote for you thank you i'll do it i'll shut down everything and first to go is the department of education (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right so next topic is uh florida governor ron DeSantis. I think we had called him Robert in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Oops. Um, so he he's basically going to take an, a, an executive emergency action against vaccine passports. And um, so the, the Epic Times wrote about this, and they were saying that he was speaking at a press conference on March 29th. And, um, yeah, he said he was going to do this basically to, to just say that we're not supportive of this. People have freedoms and individual liberties, and they need to make decisions for themselves. And, but this is something that is seriously being discussed in the White House, you know, and they are planning on um, partnering with organizations on creating these passports and starting all this. And, and um, I'll play the clip, and then maybe we can get into kind of what your personal research has shown you about some of these restrictions that they're about to allow. The vaccine passport is a terrible idea. We are definitely not going to require anything from the state's perspective. That is totally off the table. If I have businesses that want to do that in Florida, I think that that's more than just a private decision. I think that impacts um, our society. I think that impacts people, particularly disadvantaged people, in a way that would barely be negative for our state. So what form that would take, I'd have to discuss it with my folks. I have to discuss it potentially with the legislature, but I think it's a very, very bad idea. Look, if you want to go to a movie theater, a concert, all this stuff, go. If you don't, don't. But to require somebody to show some type of proof of vaccination, I think is is completely unacceptable. And it's not something that, that we're going to support here in any way in Florida. Can he run for president, please? <laughs> It's a fascinating topic, and I think you know very divisive and charged. Um, you know, I guess what we fear the most is that at the federal level, but you know, there's all kinds of elements to this. And I thought I read an article that was talking about it. The federal government wasn't going to do it; they were going to leave it to the private sector, or to other, you know, state and local governments. Um, you know, you, you think, for example, who could require it? Airlines? What if an airline required it uh, to fly on their flights? Well, what if you were flying to France and France said you have to have it to enter France? So that's not even the airline. It's the country that you're going to. So they're basically saying no tourists here unless you have it. You know, and I understand there's a process of creating it, you know, where it can be shown and verified. And, you know, there's a perhaps a desire to make it universal. You know, not everybody brings their a letter from their doctor. And, you know, every state and city has a different form. You know, can you imagine that? It would be pretty chaotic trying to prove, everybody trying to prove that type of thing. But... You know, it makes you think back to, um, you know, the the vaccinations that we all have. 
you know, um, measles and mumps and uh, diphtheria and uh, different ones that we've taken polio. So um, basically the way that worked is it was required through the schools and even, I believe, pediatricians. I'm not sure if some children never got that, um, but it was almost required at, at the youngest of ages. And so then after that, nobody checked it. Uh, you know, it wasn't like, well, maybe they did to get into school. But beyond that, let's say you were homeschooled and you never did it. Um, there's not going to be a later point in life that you're not going to be able to travel because of that. I guess people could argue, yeah, well, that's because those diseases aren't an issue worldwide. They're not spreading or they don't even hardly exist. Uh, so, you know, and obviously COVID does exist and it is more of a threat and is affecting countries now. So it's a, it's a fascinating topic and, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see in the end how many, what percentage of our population get vaccinated. And then, Obviously, whatever percentage doesn't would be on the outside looking in as to any kind of a passport. Yeah, and, and she's saying she's saying that they're going to provide guidance. And, um, well, here's a quote that Jen Psaki, the press secretary, said. Mm -hmm. uh, There's currently an interagency process that is looking at many of the questions around vaccine verification and that issue will touch many agencies, um, as verification is an issue that will potentially touch many areas of society. Thus, guidance will provide. A determination or development of vaccine passport, or whatever you want to call it, will be driven by the private sector. Ours will be more focused on guidelines that can be used as a basis. And there are a couple of key principles that we are working from. You know, what if Amazon says, or Walmart, all of our workers must be vaccinated. Or you lose your job. <laughs> so, you know, that that's <clears throat> that's quite a... <clears throat> that's going to cause a lot of people to be vaccinated. And, of course, state, local, federal government workers could easily be required to. Um, so, you know, I don't know if... Thinking of younger ones, like in school, would they require that? Um, so anyway, there's just a whole lot of issues. I think what we see almost immediately is travel, you know, because it's, it's going to be an issue for travel. And, you know, cruise lines are already, they can't operate until November, I believe, and they are going to require, if you're 18 or, or older, that you have to have, um, proof of vaccination. So already, you know, if you want to go on a cruise, you're going to have to make a decision whether to be vaccinated. So I can understand Ron DeSantis, he's pushing back against that. And I think there's some good reasons. Basic ones are, is it absolute protection against COVID? Are there different strains so it's not absolute protection? What if you've already had COVID? How does that compare to the vaccination? Um, you know, so there, there's 
questions that don't make it like an absolute answer. You know, you say, well, did you have one? Did you have two? Which ones did you have? Are they going to require more in the future? And then, of course, obvious question that a lot of people are concerned about. Is this detrimental to your health? And there's been some evidence that it is. So I know that the left would minimize that, you know, um, and mock that even. So, but I, I think there's been enough to ask the questions. Well, we say it with everything, you know, oh, you know, dairy does certain things to me. It doesn't affect you, but it affects me. Gluten affects you. It doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. Yet we have this same vaccine and we give it to everybody and we expect it to do wonders for them. It's just that doesn't work for anybody. You have to do different things for different people. We mm-hmm. all have different bodies. So I I don't understand that reasoning where it's just so uh, uniform. Everybody, get this vaccine. You got to, yeah. And then, you know, if it really gets to that point, it, it'll stink. But, you know, I guess we just won't be able to travel. And I, I'm a little nervous by the fact that somebody won't even allow me to give them money to go somewhere because they are so obsessed with the idea of me getting a vaccine. Mm. Mm. It's just absolutely crazy to me. Um, But I I also do wonder if there's going to be any religious exemptions. You know, they they do have religious exemptions where people don't have to get vaccines. Mm. Um, So, you know, I wonder if that will be the case with this one. Of course, this is a lot more of an intense um, politically... uh, charged vaccine so Mm -hmm. that makes it harder but but i i I find it refreshing that someone is speaking out and saying hey you don't have to take this hey you don't need you don't you know that's that's going too far government you need to stop Mm -hmm. um and yeah i I don't you know they're not going to do it who cares you know it's not your place to enforce that and i hope i'm very hopeful that corporations will know better than to do that to people that Amazon won't make their people do that. Like you were saying, you know, and all, all the kind of hypotheticals we could think of that would make us nervous and shaking in our boots. Um, you just, you're hopeful that they, they won't do that, that they'll have common sense. Just from, you know, you think of big tech companies, seems like that's something they would do. Oh, Totally. <laughs> Totally. You, you know, just in terms of their views, and I, I just, I guess I'd have a hard time seeing them not do it. So the question is, I guess they can each decide. Obviously, it's going to impact all their employees. Uh, all their employees are going to have to make a decision. Um, and I don't, you know, you wonder, could the courts step in, you know, if there were lawsuits against them for you know, requiring this as a condition to employment. And anyway, it, it really creates something that we've never really had before. And that is, you know, that a whole class of people could be, you know, limited in their, what they can do. Um, that it, those that haven't taken the vaccine can only be involved in so much of our society. And it is kind of frightening to think that. And, you know, it would be interesting to think of 
could it be that there would be states like Florida that take a stance like this and they become almost harbors for people who don't want to take the vaccine and want to have basically normal lives, you know, perhaps there the corporations wouldn't be allowed to require it, whereas in other states they would. So you would move to these states in order to not suffer the disadvantages that you would in the others. Yeah, it seems like it's probably going that route. Um, But, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm still hopeful. I'm always hopeful Mm -hmm. that, you know, freedom will win. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably another thing that will help with with, uh, getting good messages out is that Trump is going to be creating a social media platform, which is very exciting. And um, so also on the Epic Times, former President Donald Trump's social media platform will debut in three to four months, according to Corey Lewandowski, a former senior advisor with Trump's 2020 campaign. And he was saying, Lewandowski was saying that it will be an interactive communication tool whereby the president is going to be able to post things that people will be able to report and communicate directly with him. And uh, gladly that the platform isn't going to rely on Amazon servers. Uh, that's good. As we saw what happened to Parler whenever they were relying on Amazon servers and they were shut down. Um, and it's going to be a free speech alternative to Twitter and... Yeah, I, I think it'll be, I'm excited for the possibility of it, and, you know, and I don't know if it's going to happen for sure. I, I know Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, he's also creating a social media. So, you know, I'm open to all these and I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Dan Bongino was also working on some social media platforms, but let's do it because uh, we need competition in this space. Mm. One interesting thought is, will we come to the point where the left uses one set and the right uses another? Or will they both use both? You know, in a lot of the interaction is, is between the left and the right, obviously. So if you had it segregated, so to speak, it would lose some of its impact, I would think. Um, so it's interesting. You wonder, you know, well, I guess there'll be competition. Which which one do people gravitate toward? You know, because obviously there's advertising, you know, possibilities. And numbers of users will affect that. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. We really haven't had a lot of that, you know, where the left shops at these stores and the right shop at other stores. We haven't really gotten into that. There have been some um, minor boycotts. Uh, that have taken place but as to social media it'll be interesting when those two choices or when those various choices are out there and obviously the key factor is that there's freedom of speech you know because on the on the current ones it's certainly not the case there's clear censorship you know if if that's what it has to get to that's what it has to get to um we've kind of been driven to this because we're not the ones kicking people off of social media. It's the left kicking us off of social media. So, you know, and Trump, he's ever since that July 6th or January 6th incident, mm-hmm. they kicked him off of Twitter. And they Twitter says it's permanent. He's never coming back. 
And Facebook is saying they're thinking about it, mm-hmm. but they're not mm-hmm. going to do it. Mm-hmm. They'll get so they would get too much of a blowback for that, and they already made the decision they made. They might as well just keep it at that point. So, yes, please, more, more options, you know. Mm-hmm. And just like with anything, if I don't like the options out there, I'm thinking in my mind, I wish somebody would come up with a business idea that could, you know, just mm-hmm. yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then they do so. Yeah, this is a business. Social media is a business. And we need more options out there. And if Trump is going to do it, that'd be great. Dinesh D'Souza has also, you know, advised him to create like a lifestyle TV network. I think that's the best idea. I would love that. You know, reality TV, you know, maybe a few news channels, but not really all about news because we have plenty of conservative news out there. Um, but yeah, just things that really take on the culture and entertainment. That's what we're lacking so much mm. of. Mm. That, that's where we have a void right now because, uh, Christian entertainment is pretty boring. Like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm too old for VeggieTales now. You know, it's just, it got old a long time ago. So yeah, I, I'm excited for the possibility of that. If he were to do it. I'm just worried he won't, mm, mm-hmm. that he's just too focused on this social media. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think it's great if he's going to do it, but yeah, please. Also the TV network mm. would be awesome. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, you know, I guess the social media is where you have combat <laughs> between the, the left and the right. <clears throat> and obviously you can't have combat when they censor the right. Um, the lifestyle network, that's not combat per se. That's just sharing your views, your culture, so to speak. And in effect, you know, trying to influence through that. And yeah, we have a lot of that, but perhaps not from people like Trump. So it will be interesting. Yeah, it's just, you know, social media was created to connect people together. And look what it's become. It's become something completely different than that. It's like everything else. It was a place where you could escape and relax and have fun and just look at what's going on in other people's lives. Of course, there were unhealthy aspects of it, but mm-hmm. now it's become you get triggered on there. You get angry because of the political posts that people are doing. You know, you get multiple posts from people saying, educate yourself, learn about this, you ignorant buffoon, you know, all of that. And that's the same thing that was happening to sports. Sports was also mm. a place for an escape where people didn't have to think about anything. It was just entertainment. It was just enjoyment. And now you look at ESPN and it's so political and sports has become politicalization theater where people don't even want to salute our flag. They just, they, they don't want to honor our country and they just want to have their political agenda shown. And so they ruin social media as well. And, yeah, I know. I know that some people think that a few people think that sports will end. You know that mm, sports mm. will become irrelevant um, sooner rather than later, just because of all of this, and just because of the great evil that's come out of it. It didn't have to be that way, but it was forced to be that way. Mm, um, mm. But with social media, uh, you know, I think that that that's going to be a little bit harder for something like that to end because people will always want to connect. I, I've thought about my life without social media. You know what that would look like and. And honestly, I I think it'd be easier for me than for a lot of people just because, you know, I don't feel the need to try to show off every little thing that I do or show off everything that I get or that I'm hanging out with friends. 
um, every moment of the day, like most people. And I, it, you know, if I'm really proud of something, I'll just share it with you guys, my family. Mm. And I, I, I find much more satisfaction from that. But, um, so I think I could do it, but I think a lot of people would have more trouble than me, um, getting that done. But I, I think it'd be a lot better for us because, you know, we're, we're not growing and advancing by what we're looking at, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that there are, there is a lot of creativity that's sparked by social media, but I think it's doing more harm than good mm. in our society. Mm. And so, um, it probably would be better not to like, I can't even think of the last time I just sat and read a book for enjoyment. Mm. Like I read the Bible or I read the news. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all my reading or obviously reading for work, mm-hmm. but I don't read just books. Mm. And I think if I didn't have social media, I'd have more time for that. Um, yeah, we're, we're just, I feel like we're missing a lot of life just because we're looking at people's portrayals of life. Mm. Definitely. And it yeah, definitely has some harmful impacts and, superficial um superficiality oh for sure but uh to end let's just go to the verse deuteronomy 6 3 oh israel you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the lord the god of our fathers of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey i'll read it again oh israel you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the lord the god of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey Mm -hmm. so i know it's a it's a verse that's really like just taken out of context and everything but um you know they were the israelites were going to be going to the promised land and this is the chapter where they're really bringing on the commands and the importance of obeying god and it's so important to do that and it I thought this verse was just important just because it was so basic and simplistic and not in a bad way, obviously in a good way, just that listen, be careful to do it mm. and it'll be well with you. And obviously if you do the opposite of that, if you um, shut off your listening and if you're um, not careful to take good action, then things will be bad with you and you won't be going to the land flowing with milk and honey. Mm. So it's, it's very, it's very, all or nothing. And I think we try to always forge a, a middle path. I think I do it every day, a lot of the days of my life. I try to forge some kind of neutral path between holy and unholy. And, um, you know, in the end, I, it doesn't give me a land flowing with milk and honey. Mm. It just mm. gives me a lot of nothingness and meaninglessness. Meaning, you know, that big mm-hmm. long word that I can't say right now. Mm-hmm. So Ecclesiastes. <laughs> That's right. That's true. You know, I guess it gets down to the principle that God's blessings are conditional. And we need to fulfill the conditions in order to receive his blessings. And I I think in a lot of our world and even Christianity, we've gotten away from that, that God is just unconditionally loving and accepting. And no matter what we do, we will be blessed, and his love will overflow upon us. And in a sense, you know, his love is unconditional, but he deals with us as a father, and there are conditions. And when we stray, when we fall away, when we worship idols, when we have other gods before him, his blessings are withheld, and... In fact, the opposite, 
there is punishment, there is judgment. And a lot of people don't want to hear or accept that, but it's just um, a part of the way it is. And, uh, you know, we, we just feel like God's blessings have to be upon us no matter what we do. And it, uh, it's just not true. And, you know, if we raise our kids in that way, whatever they do, you know, everything's going to be okay. Uh, no, you know, depending on your decisions and especially your major decisions, there will be consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Yeah, so um, hopefully you read the book of uh, Deuteronomy. It's a really good book, mm-hmm. and especially the chapter 6, so... Um, yeah, I was just reading it the other day and I thought I'd bring this verse up. So guys, I thank you for listening to me. I don't take it for granted. I appreciate, um, each person that gives up their time to listen to this. And hopefully I am benefiting you by learning about some subjects. And, um, you know, I think the fact that you get to listen to my dad's wisdom is, is always a good aspect of it also. Um, yeah, let's see. Obviously we'll be on for the next show and it'll be even better. Hope you guys have a good one.